0: Thank you worship team and choir for leading us in worship this morning and thank you to all of you for being here uh, today. Happy Easter to you and as Kelsey said, if you're visiting with us, we're so glad that you're here and we'd love to know who you are. Or If you're watching online for the first time with us, thank you Justin, Uh, we'd love to know who you are and we encourage you to text the word uh, CONNECT to the number that is on the screen so uh, that we can get connected to you and help you uh, learn what it means to be a part of our church. Let me also uh, invite you to join us next Sunday uh, as we uh, begin a new teaching series called Finding Your Purpose. We'll be beginning a journey through the book of Ephesians, and uh, it is a great time for you uh, to come back and join us. And that's kind of what we do here for the most part as we journey through uh, the scriptures through different books of the Bible. And so we've been uh, looking at the book of Galatians this year, and we're going to close that out this morning so you can open up uh, your Bible uh, to the book of Galatians. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, those verses will be on the screen. As uh, you find your place there, I would mention to you that uh, I have three middle schoolers in my house. Some of you, uh, give you a second to recover. Um, And so as a father of three middle schoolers and as a pastor, I have a lot of interest in the effects of social media. And I was looking at a study done by MIT last year, and it it revealed a lot of things that they can trace back to social media, but three things stood out to me. Uh, One of the things that this survey revealed is that uh, there was a 7% higher uh, severe depression rate amongst those uh, who use social media. So not just depression, that was a higher statistic, but 7% were going to have high like debilitating uh, depression. It also found out that there was a higher anxiety uh, rate of 20%. And that's the same uh, anxiety uh, increase that job loss has on society. And then probably the most staggering thing to me was that since 2007, the U.S. suicide rate has increased by 57%. Now, we can't say that that's directly because of social media, but that was when uh, social media became mainstream and started to be a part of uh, the normal person's life. Perhaps you've seen the documentary, The Social Dilemma. It's not a Christian documentary, so this isn't some pastoral recommendation. But if you've seen that documentary, it really explains we who use social media, we are the products. And so we're what's being sold. And so the desire is to find our need that we have and connect it with somebody who's selling something that offers to meet that need. And ultimately, the need that is presented here is our need for affirmation, our need for acceptance. Now, social media isn't the root of the problem here. I I think it's just amplifying what is already there. So social media might have changed the game some, but the game was already being played. So if you're defending social media, you might accurately say, don't hate the player, hate the game, that's a true assessment. This issue, this game, really has always been in existence. Uh, Before social media, it was the internet and what the internet might cause us to look at or lure us to believe about ourselves or believe we need. But before the internet, it was television and advertisements and television programs. And before the television, it was the newspaper where Keeping Up With The Joneses originated in a comic strip. The issue here is this issue of our heart seeking affirmation, seeking validation, seeking significance, asking what do I need to do, or who do I need to be to be seen? And people turn to a lot of places for this. They turn to social media, they turn to relationships, perhaps they turn to success and the recognition that comes with success, and i found that people turn to religion for this as well and what I and others who study this have found is that religion can actually be harmful instead of helpful for those who are seeking solace from this battle to feel significant and so my aim this morning is for you to see the contrast between an empty religion and a life full of Jesus Christ And by looking at the Galatians issue, I think we can understand this. Then I'm going to show you an encounter with God in the Old Testament that I think illustrates the proper perspective on how we respond to God. And one of my children asked me what I was teaching and I explained and they said, what does that have to do with Easter? I also aim to show you that. Um, (laughs) Because everything is about Easter. Everything is about Jesus. I want you to see that. It's all about Jesus. Pray with me. God, I am incapable of moving in hearts, but you are capable. God, I am insufficient at accurately representing the truth of your word but you are sufficient so god i lean on you may you get glory from our time in the word today in jesus name i pray amen if you look at galatians chapter 6 verse 11 the apostle paul in his final warning and benediction to the galatians says see with large what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Popular belief is that Paul was using a scribe to write this letter as was customary in that day. But then he grabs the pen to close the book. And here at the end of the letter, he is writing in large letters himself. It's kind of like how we would text or we would post in all caps. We use all caps to really get the attention of the reader or to emphasize our point or if it's that one of yours because she doesn't know if you hit shift, then it won't go in all caps anymore. This here matters a lot to Paul. What matters a lot to Paul? Well, verse 12. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. So in Galatia, at this time of Paul's writing, there is this group called the Circumcision Party, which sounds like the worst party ever. And they are insisting that if you want to be a Christian, that you must be circumcised. And if you are a Christian, you will get circumcised. Now, that's not a problem if you grew up Jewish, and that was a part of something that happened when you were a young boy. Uh, But uh, if you were a Gentile, that had not happened to you and you were in your, your 30s. I'll just say that churches struggle to reach young men. This puts up a greater barrier to reaching those young men. And so this crowd valued their national heritage, their customs, their religious traditions, the observation of the Old Testament law, and the observation of the written law. So that's additional rules given or prescribed by a rabbi or rabbis that we would follow. And a manifestation of this attitude, of this value, is that they are indeed forcing people to get circumcised if they want to be accepted into the church as Christians. Paul says the reason that they are so focused on this is because they want to make a good showing in the flesh. They want to look good. They want to be validated. And some, maybe many, are going along with this. Because they want acceptance too, and they have found it with this religious crowd. Paul says they are also doing this so that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Now, we are so familiar with the idea of the cross that we don't fully capture why Paul is saying this at first glance. In 1 Corinthians, Paul explains that the cross is a stumbling block to the Jew. 1 Corinthians one twenty three. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. For many of the devout Jews in the days of Jesus, religion, specifically their religion, had become a source of pride. There was a mindset that said our righteousness is because of our ability to keep the law. But the gospel, the cross, says you and I couldn't keep the law. And that God had to rescue us from our unrighteousness. That's the message of the gospel, that God is holy and God is good and God does want us to walk with him and know him. But each of us, if we live long enough, follow our own heart, go about our own way. And that brings about sin. That brings about the consequences of sin. And we are separated from God. We are not walking with God. And God is just and sin deserves to be punished. And so, ultimately, apart from Christ, there is a punishment, there is a wrath that comes of separation from God. But God didn't want us to remain separated, so God came to the earth himself. Jesus Christ lived a sinless life, died on the cross, paying our sins, paying our debt to God. And if we would believe in him and receive him, we would be forgiven and we would be reconciled to God. That's the gospel. So, We must come and die for righteousness, the gospel says, the cross says. But if your righteousness is a means of boasting in yourself, then the cross is a stumbling block to you. It is beneath you. It offends you. And what we have here in Galatians, listen, are not just non-believers who say I can rely on myself. We have professing Christians who are saying we really don't need the cross because we have our faith. People gladly accept a version of Christianity that is not centered around the cross. Perhaps it's a moralistic Christianity that says something like, if I don't drink and I don't chew and I don't date anyone or those who do, I'm righteous. Perhaps it's a ritualistic Christianity That says something like, if I only eat fish on Fridays for six weeks leading up to Easter, and I do whatever the person in the robe tells me to do when I do something wrong, I'm righteous. Perhaps perhaps it's a progressive Christianity that says something like, if I volunteer for my favorite cause, and I show my support to the newest social group, then I am good with God. And there are other examples of this crossless Christianity that says, by doing And not doing these things, I am good with God. But we know that there is a problem with this. Paul says in verse 13, For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. They are saying that keeping the law, at least some version of it, is what makes them good with God. But they don't keep the law. That's the irony of legalism. You are saying something makes you right with God when you really know you're not right with God. So here's what Paul says happens. They desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. This is the perpetuation of religion. Because there is this unsettledness, they cover it up by getting others to join them, to validate them. And the temptation for others, the temptation for you, is to fill your need to be justified, validated, and significant by joining one of these groups. But let's make sure of something. Let's be sure that we are aware that fitting in and finding a place isn't as important as where we stand with God. Fitting in and finding a place isn't as important as where we stand with God. We can belong and be wrong. We can find our people and miss the way. Now, I realize that perhaps one of the reasons people end up attaching themselves to a group that is in error or is misrepresenting God is because they were lonely, because you were lonely and you needed help. And that's legitimate, and I get that. And I would say to our church or to Christians who might be joining us today from other churches, this is why it is imperative that we build relationships, that we seek out those, especially those who we would find out are alone or lonely, or are broken, or hurting. And we engage them, and we bring them in to show them not that we are enough, but that Jesus is enough, and to learn the ways of Jesus together. And there is so much to work out here, but just today I would encourage you to heed the warning. The danger here is finding our worthiness, our validation, and ultimately our righteousness in the acceptance of others when it can only be found In God and if our worthiness is found in our ability to keep the standards of the community whatever that community is be assured that we will soon be filling with pride we see this in the new religions of politics in America and I use that word religion intentionally whether it's conservative or progressive There's a standard of living that has become a religion, and if you don't keep up with the morals of that side, then you are not right with whatever we believe it is that we need to be right with. And so we see this pride that it creates on both sides of this issue, but also we see this in religious circles, where there might be the traditional crowd who thinks if we do things the way they did in the 1950s or the 1850s, We're right, and we look down on others who don't, even if they call themselves Christians. Or there might be the spiritual crowd who act like they're some sort of Holy Spirit Jedi Knights who've reached some understanding of the force. Or the intellectual crowd who thinks that the goal of the church is having the best team for Bible trivia night. And I could keep going, but we're gonna run out of time. As a Christian, our boasting is not in ourselves, it's not in our morals, it's not in slaying it. Paul says in verse 14, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul is saying, my only boast is Christ. You're probably in one of three places today. Perhaps you're here and you really don't care. (laughs) You're ready for me to stop. You're ready to go and eat or whatever it is you're doing next. Your grandma has been nagging you about coming or your mom has been nagging you about coming. or Your friend has been on you about coming and so you're here today. I can't change your heart. But I pray that God would work whatever he has to work in your life to help you to see your need for him. But maybe you're here today and God is drawing you. I don't know how serious you've been about him, but there's been something about him you can't escape. And and you're here today because you continue to be open to spiritual things. You continue to be open to the God of the Bible. Or maybe you're here and you're in it. You're at some degree or some level of in it for Christ, trying to seek and serve him. Wherever you are today, listen, before you leave, before you take your next step, before you decide to pursue growth, remember this, Pride is the enemy of spiritual maturity and security. Pride is the enemy of spiritual maturity and security. The greatest thing that is getting in the way of our transformation in Christ and our flourishing in who he has made us to be is our pursuit of self. I don't mean that you can't have self-esteem or self-worth. I mean that you can't be self-centered and self-seeking and expect to grow. I mean that real worth that comes from an infinite, holy, loving God is far superior and sustaining than much of the superficial, fleeting ideas of what self-worth is. Paul says that by the cross, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, there has been a transformation that has happened and there is a different value system and there is a security from coming to him and knowing that I belong to him forever and that he is powerful. Now, how do we know where we are in this? Or how do we know if we're drifting away from this? Or how do we know if there might be a barrier between us in transformation and security. Well, one simple way to understand is this. What we boast about is indicative of what we worship. What we boast about is indicative of what we worship. Look at the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 6 verse 45. He says, The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. The greatest way to discern hearts is to listen to people talk. I'm a pastor. It's my job. It's my calling. It's my desire to help people. And as I've been a pastor for 15 years now, there are many ways that have grown my ability to help people. But the number one way that I've grown in my ability to help people is by obeying these words. James, shut up and listen. And as people talk, you will hear where they are coming from and where they are out. Where they are at. The greatest way to discern hearts is to listen to someone talk or to evaluate how we talk. What we boast in is indicative of what we worship. Maybe it's our success and our wealth and our possessions. Maybe it's our acceptance by some group or some team. Maybe it's our knowledge. Maybe it's someone, whether it be a dating relationship or a spouse or our children or an idol, whether we know them personally or not. Maybe it's our morals that we boast in or our work that we boast in. And again, if we're now getting to our faith, our boasting should be in the cross. This doesn't mean that we can't be happy about all these things, but as Paul says in Romans 5:2, the aim of our rejoicing is that we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We understand that blessings not attached and fixed to Jesus fall short. We understand that life not attached to Jesus falls short. Faith that is not centered around the cross and boasting in the cross isn't faith in the right thing. Christianity without the cross in view is Christianity without a complete picture of Christ and the life he has called us to live. The cross must be in our sight and spiritual maturity without the cross misses the mark And we often feel like certain spiritual, religious things make us closer to Jesus. This is the draw of tradition. This is the draw of ritualism. This is the draw of moralism. This is the draw of spiritualism. But Paul says in verse 15, For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Paul says this crowd that's saying these acts make you right with God, they're wrong. It doesn't count. And the group over here who's saying those who are being circumcised, they're not right with God, the belief of the uncircumcision is wrong as well. What counts is a new creation. It's being born again. Because we didn't need to be cleaned up in our flesh, we needed to be raised from the dead. Jesus isn't our second chance at the life we wanted He is our only chance at the life we need. And Paul says in verse 16, and as for all who walk by this rule, and I love, Paul's a great writer, the irony of this, these rules for religion. He says, this rule is being a new creation. He says, for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Peace is the deeply rooted feeling that we are going to be all right Because Christ has existed since the beginning of time and Christ came to this earth and lived a sinless life and died on the cross for our sins and rose from the grave and ascended to the right hand of the Father where he is interceding on our behalf and will return not as a suffering servant but in victory for his church. We have peace that it's going to be all right. And mercy which is the compassion of God on our position, which is evident in the very nature of Christ. And he calls those who live by this rule of being a new creation, the Israel of God. Again, Paul's a brilliant writer. The irony here is a group of people who say, this is the nation of Israel and how we do things. And if you wanna be right with God, you gotta do things the way we do things. And he says, if you read the Old Testament, the Israel as a nation wasn't always the Israel of God. And today, the Israel of God is those who find their righteousness in God's atoning work on the cross and not in the law. I'd ask you to turn now to Joshua chapter 5, verse 13 through 15. Or again, you could follow along with the verses on the screen. What we see here is we see an encounter that takes place. As Joshua is preparing to lead God's people into Jericho to fight the battle of Jericho where the walls came tumbling down. And in verse 13 it tells us, when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? God, are you on our side or are you on their side? And he said, no. But I am the commander of the army of the Lord, now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Joshua wants to know, God, are you on our side? are you on their side? The commander of the Lord's army says no. You see, God is on God's side. And we need to understand that God does not want to play a part in our story. He wants us to play a part in his story. We have been invited in by his grace into the great narrative of human history. It is not about sides. It is about the greatness of God and his grace to invite us in. The purpose today is not to take a side. It is to follow Jesus. And what does Joshua do when he encounters the presence of God? He falls on his face. In worship, What does the apostle Paul do when he encounters Jesus on the Damascus road? Paul, who's fighting for what he sees as the nation of Israel, he falls down. And God gives him eyes to see. He says in verse 17, from now on let no one cause me trouble for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus Paul surrendered his life to the cause and the mission and the glory of Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you're searching for significance and you want your life to count in the right ways, I wanna say this, which is a paraphrase of many different writers and pastors that I've heard over the years, it's this. The people who make a lasting difference in the world are not the people who have mastered many things. They are people who have been mastered by the greatest thing. Joshua sees the greatest thing, and it is clear that the Lord is his master, his Lord. Paul encounters Jesus, and he is mastered by him. The disciples walk with Jesus and they see who he is and they surrender to his will and God works mightily through them. But if you read the Bible, you understand that it was Christ's intention to die according to the plan of God since the beginning of time. And when that happens, the disciples are discouraged. They wander away. But, that group of disciples will move from a group of 120 people and what they believe and their passion will spread in all of Jerusalem It will eventually extend past Jerusalem into Asia, eventually carrying over into Europe, eventually in the years moving into a new continent, into a new land where that nation, many who come there will will seek to build in a way that brings glory to God. And they realize that it is not enough, that we are a society that is built around God, but we wanna take this message to every remote place of the earth. And that message will spread, leading to millions and billions of people placing their faith in Jesus Christ. Why is this? it's because not only did they follow Jesus when he was alive and see his loving sacrifice on the cross but he conquered Jesus Death And Joshua saw the commander of the army of the Lord, but the disciples have seen the risen Jesus Christ in his glory. And that same Jesus Christ is still alive today, and he's ruling, and he's reigning, and he's in hearts, and he's empowering people to live the lives that he's called them to live. And the goal and the response to the resurrection isn't to figure out how to get your life where it needs to be. It is to realize who he is and to fall on your face. And worship of him and be mastered by Jesus Christ. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is our hope. And I realized this morning that for some of you, you've messed up. It might be better to say you are messed up. Welcome to the club. And I need you to understand something. Whenever, you know what I hate doing? I hate selling my house. I've had to do that a few times. I'm not doing that right now, but I've had to do that. And um, I know realtors help. Thank you. You're also okay, but no, we're not going to talk about that right now. But um, the first time Christy and I had to sell a house, I'll just let you know we bought the house, and it was just us two. And four and a half years later, we had two dogs and four children. They just appeared. I don't know how, and uh, (laughs) and so we outgrew our house. But also, like my life was busy. And um, we had renovated the house and there were just some things I never got around to like our bathroom, even though it's mostly renovated and have baseboards and one of my children had fall, fallen off of the, they're, they're not off the table, that's, no, they don't get on the table, but you know, the chair and put a hole in the um, wall and so there's all these things you need to do and you know, somebody's walking through our house and telling us all the things we need to do to get ready to sell it and this wasn't like Niceville now, this was like back in the day when you didn't know if you're gonna sell your house for what you bought it for and it's just like, just this feeling of people are gonna, we're gonna try to get it ready and people are gonna walk through this house and they're not gonna know if they want it because of it's lived in, right? And it's lived in by us and it's hard not to take that personal. And I think a lot of times when we think of the gospel, we think of living for Christ in the same way, that it's like, yeah, we wanna invite him in, but we know we gotta get these things right for him to come in and live with us. And, and I'll just tell you, that's really legalism, That's really a law. And some people are like, well, he just better accept it for what it is. That's lawlessness. Here's what you need to understand. What I would say in that illustration it is, is that Jesus comes in and he takes everything just because he loves us and he wants to live with us and he'll do all the work that he needs to do in us. You need to understand this morning, God does not love a potential version of you. He loves you. God doesn't need you to do the work to make yourself righteous. You can't, but he will do all of that work and if we doubt it, we look to the cross and we see that God did the unthinkable in giving himself for us and we know his power to do it because he rose from the grave and demonstrated his power. God demonstrates his love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And as C.S. Lewis says, when he comes in, he's gonna start knocking some walls down. But he doesn't intend to remodel your life. He intends to build a castle where he will dwell with you. Paul says in verse 18, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. That's the spirit of Paul's rebuke. And that's my hope and desire for you. Whether you've been with us through all of Galatians or you're just with us this morning on this Easter Sunday, is that your life would be centered around Jesus Christ. Not religion. As the prophetess Taylor Swift says, that's Band-Aids on bullet holes. You need Jesus, and Jesus has come for you. It is all about Jesus, who loved you and gave himself for you, and who has the power to save you from the grave of sin. And we know that because he is alive today. Pray with me. Jesus, thank you for your glory and thank you for your grace and thank you for this beautiful, incredible demonstration of just how much power you have in our lives through the resurrection. Thank you that you just didn't do that one time but you are alive, constantly bringing about your resurrection power in our lives May we trust in that this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.